The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you here to the nave of Marsh Chapel, whether you are here present with us or listening live over radio signals at WBUR 90.9 FM or listening over the internet at WBUR.org. We hope you will take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red book found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel. I bear greetings this morning on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away this week and looks forward to rejoining us next Sunday. We continue this Sunday our annual Summer Preacher Series, and I regret to inform you that this Sunday includes yours truly in the pulpit. My sincerest condolences. When Daniel Marsh was involved in designing Marsh Chapel, he had inscribed over the center doors, let this chapel at the center of the university campus signify forever the centrality of intellectual and experimental religion in education. This morning we lean into both concepts, intellectual and experimental, as the choir offers this morning a complete setting of the mass texts. This morning uh, set by Tomas Luis de Victoria, and based on the motet, Quam Pucri Sunt. One of the wonderful things, as Dr. Jarrett explained to the choir during rehearsal this morning about a complete setting of the Mass, is that each movement of the Mass texts reflects on a motive from the motet, Quam Pucri Sunt, uh, that is at the heart, and that you will hear sung during the offertory this morning. Those reflections are as if through stained glass, bathing us in resplendent light, uh, each taking a different angle and reflecting a different set of the color palette on us as we worship together. It is our prayer that you are bathed in this resplendent and diverse light this morning. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Praise to the Lord, the
Let us pray. O God, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you and our neighbor. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united to one another with pure affection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated.
a lesson from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapters 12, verses 2 through 10. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to read verses from Psalm 123 with the antiphon. I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to his mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more you to rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Glory to you, O Lord. He left that place and came to his hometown, and the disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Amen. Please be seated. The theme of our Summer Preacher series this summer is Beloved Community. Coined by Josiah Royce, the concept of the Beloved Community was popularized by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. While eschewing the utopian vision of Royce, King nevertheless developed his conception of the Beloved Community out of the idealist philosophy of Boston personalism, in which he was formed right here at Boston University. For King, the beloved community is, first and foremost, a social reality. The beloved community arises from the personal commitments of individual people to the method of nonviolence enacted socially. As King said, The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community, while the aftermath of violence is tragic bitterness. Nonviolence is the means, but the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. The beloved community is spiritual as well as social. It is the love of God working in the lives of people. 
The beloved community is global, or as King described it, a great world house in which we have to live together. And surely it is the cosmic dimension of the beloved community that King had in mind when he quoted Theodore Parker that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. King fully believed that this vision of the beloved community would be realized and actualized socially. He was beginning the process of building a late modern sacred canopy in hopes that it would become the social governing norm, complete with cosmic dimension over time. From the vantage point of 2015, however, some 60 years after King began to popularize the beloved community, it is hard to imagine such a global and universal ethos taking hold. Rather than a single sacred canopy, as Peter Berger himself has acknowledged, what we are experiencing in our pluralistic age is ongoing contestation of our various sacred canopies, or perhaps better, sacred tents. Rather than participating in a singular sacred canopy, we inhabit in our lives various tents. The family tent, the work tent, the school tent, the neighborhood tent, the friend's tent, and on and on. We inhabit each of these tents differently, fitting our individual uniqueness to the social norms governing each. These tents overlap one another at the intersection of us. That is, we are the locus of overlap for all of the tents we inhabit, even if they would never otherwise intersect and do not regularly have anything to do with one another. The sacred canopy in this sense, then, is much more like the jungle canopy, which exists only after the fact, as the limbs of the trees grow to overlap one another organically. Of course, some of the tents we inhabit are more central to our sense of self and identity than others. They are more important to us than others. They are where we find our deepest sense of belonging. The tent where you find your deepest gladness realized, where you feel yourself to most fully belong, where you experience the greatest freedom, that tent, then, is your beloved community. Rather than a global, universal, cosmic beloved community, these beloved communities are more often intimate, vulnerable, and personal. Theologically, what King envisioned as the beloved community resonates deeply with what the church aspires to be, global, universal, and mediator of cosmic harmony. The church aspires to be a community of universal love and belonging, it is for this reason that the church all too frequently 
proclaims itself to be the unique and universal context for salvation. Alas, in living out the vocation of cultivating universal love and belonging, the Church is caught on the horns of a dilemma. In order to achieve what it aspires, that is, in order to become truly global and universal, the Church must find ways to cope with the many particularities embodied by the human beings it desires to include. In order to do so, the Church has two options. First, the Church can articulate its canopy in ways so vague and abstract that it can embrace anyone. The problem with this option is that the canopy demands little and so inspires minimal allegiance, and it quickly becomes viewed as superfluous and irrelevant. Second, the Church can articulate its canopy in stricter ways and insist that everyone abide by the norms it articulates. The problem with this option is that the demands of the canopy are so oppressive for some, or perhaps many, that escaping the canopy becomes preferable to suffocating under it. In sum, it is sheer hubris to claim that the experience of grace of one person, or even a subset of people, is determinative of what the experience of grace must be for everyone. Jesus knew something of the challenge of being beloved in community, indeed in the very communities where one might most expect to find love. Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. Jesus taught the disciples that they too would find places that could not, or at least would not, be beloved communities for them. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. The sacred canopy of Jesus' hometown was no place for him to be beloved. The sacred canopy he offered could not meet everyone where they were. So too, today, the Church is wrestling precisely on the horns of this dilemma. This has never been exemplified more clearly than in the response of too much of the Church to the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision finding a constitutional right for gay and lesbian people to marry. Many churches are experiencing that the strict ways that they have articulated their sacred canopies with respect to marriage are increasingly intolerable conditions for many people to inhabit. These same churches accuse the churches that have embraced gay marriage of being wishy-washy, that is, of demanding little, so little that they are becoming irrelevant. Sadly, many of these churches that take themselves to be the ultimate context of salvation have forgotten that the very terms of that salvation are their own interpretation of what God is doing. Of course, this forgetting that the sacred canopy is our own construction is precisely one of the movements of its construction that Peter Berger describes. 
The problem is that in forgetting, we come to confuse our own human institutions with the will of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us that the serious Christian, set down for the first time in Christian community, is likely to bring with them a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and to try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and, if we are fortunate, with ourselves. Just as St. Paul taught that he knew what he thought that he knew what he needed and what would be best for him, so too we must learn once again to rely more firmly on God's grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Jean Vanier, the founder of the L'Arche Communities of Disabled Persons and Those Who Accompany Them, reminds us that community is a terrible place, a place where our limitations and egoisms are revealed to us. When we begin to live full-time with others, we discover our poverty and our weakness, our inability to get on with others, our mental and emotional blocks, our affective and sexual disturbances, our frustrations and jealousies, and our hatred and desire to destroy. Beloved community is not easy, but it is precisely by moving together through these weaknesses that the power of the beloved community is perfected. The good news of Jesus Christ for us today is that God is at work inspiring, encouraging, and nurturing beloved communities. Everyone deserves a beloved community. This is the gospel message that Justice Kennedy articulated in Obergefell v. Hodges. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than once they were. Even when the church is unwilling to be and become a beloved community, and even when the church is unwilling to acknowledge the beloved community that folk are building together, the government must acknowledge and nurture and foster these beloved communities. This is a challenging gospel for the church to hear. First, not everyone will find their beloved community in the church. The grace of God is at work outside the church and often as not in spite of the church. Claims to the contrary are mere hubris, but God's grace is sufficient because power is made perfect in weakness. 
Second, the grace of God is nurturing beloved communities, not beloved community. The experience of being beloved cannot be fostered in monolithic, universal, totalizing, sacred canopy. Instead, we need intimate tents where vulnerability and weakness may be cultivated in contexts of trust and security, because it is in weakness that power is made perfect. The church must repent of the sin of claiming that God, that grace for one, is grace for all. Let me be clear, not all beloved communities are healthy. Dylan Roof, the accused racist terrorist who killed nine members of a Bible study at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina last month, was nurtured in a community to feel beloved precisely by rejecting the humanity and personhood of black people. This orientation is not unrelated to his experience in church. Unequivocally, this is a perversion of what it means to be beloved. There is no grace here. The President of the United States of America, Barack Obama, calls us to return to the gospel of grace. According to the Christian tradition, grace is not earned. Grace is not merited. It's not something we deserve. Rather, grace is the free and benevolent favor of God, as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Grace. As a nation out of this terrible tragedy, God has visited grace upon us, for he has allowed us to see where we've been blind. He's given us the chance where we've been lost to find our best selves. We may not have earned this grace with our rancor and complacency and short-sightedness and fear of each other, but we got it all the same. He gave it to us anyway. He's once more given us grace. But it is up to us now to make the most of it, to receive it with gratitude, and to prove ourselves worthy of this gift. Today we gather at the table of grace to receive the grace of God, whose own weakness was made absolute and thus whose power is perfected in the crucifixion and death of Jesus. What will you do with this grace? Go out. Take nothing for your journey and build beloved communities. Build family communities of intimacy, love, and mutual support. Build work communities of imagination, dedication, and collaboration. Build school communities of learning, virtue, and piety. 
inhabit all of the communities in which you find belonging and are beloved with grace. That is, in weakness, that your power may be perfected. And may the grace of God empower you to serve as the point of intersection among these communities, such that love and justice may flourish. Amen.
please be seated. The peace of God be always with you. We'd like to take a moment to welcome you again to this sanctuary of Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary amongst a city and a place of peace in times of chaos and stress. We hope that you find a home here and feel that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, this is a very good place for you to continue that walk. We'd love to get to know you better and help you get to know one another better. And as Brother Larry mentioned earlier, a great way of doing that is by filling out your name and contact info in the red books towards the center of each pew. So while I give announcements, it's a great time to do that. So go ahead and pass those along. So a couple announcements this morning. Directly following the service today will be our annual 4th of July barbecue. This is such a great time of good food and good friends, and you are all welcome to join us on the BU Beach, also known as the lawn next to Marsh Chapel right after the service. Next Sunday, we'll be continuing our summer preacher series on beloved community with our very own Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill. We hope to see you all then. All are welcome to this communion table today. There is wine on the pulpit side and grape juice on the lectern side, and there's gluten-free bread available as well. And communion is often a powerful time of healing and prayer. So if you find yourself in need of prayer, please see our healing prayer station minister under this first window on the pulpit side during communion. Other events and announcements can be found on our website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also an opportunity for online giving. As we beckon the ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. We have an opportunity now to practice the ancient, sacred Christian discipline of generosity. As the choir lifts us up in song, won't you please find yourself being as generous as you are able?
grants, O God, this day for life and work and peace. Now bless these gifts and those who have given them to the work of ministry in this place and throughout the world. Amen. Jesus said, before you offer your gift, go and be reconciled. As brothers and sisters in God's family, we come together to ask forgiveness. God of grace and truth, we confess our unworthiness to stand in your presence as your children. We have sinned. Forgive us. The Virgin Mary has accepted your call to be the mother of Jesus. Forgive our disobedience to your will. Christ our Savior was born in poverty in a manger. Forgive our greed and rejection of your race. The disciples took nothing for their journey when Jesus sent them out to heal. Forgive our self-interest and lack of vision. Paul boasted in weakness and trusted the sufficiency of grace. Forgive our pride and reluctance to trust you. May the God of healing and forgiveness draw us in and cleanse us from all our sins, that we may behold the glory of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called children of God. We meet in the name of Christ and share in peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. Let us share with one another signs of peace. and gracious God, you spread a table before us. Nourish your people with the word of life and the bread of heaven. Amen.
gathers her children, you embrace the people as your own. When they turned away and rebelled, your love remained steadfast. From them you raised up Jesus, our Savior, born of Mary, to be the living bread in whom all our hungers are satisfied. Jesus offered his life for sinners and with a love stronger than death, opened wide his arms on the cross. On the night before he died, he came to supper with his friends, and taking bread, he gave you thanks. He broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At the end of supper, taking the cup of wine, he gave you thanks, and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has As we eat and drink these holy things in your presence, form us in the likeness of Christ and bring us into a living temple to your glory. We plead with confidence Christ's sacrifice made once for all upon the cross. We remember Jesus dying and rising in glory, and we rejoice that he intercedes for us at your right hand. We pray especially today that your spirit will empower beloved communities to be sanctuaries of peace and to work together for the flourishing of all people. Bring us at the last with all the saints to the vision of that eternal splendor for which you have created us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. By whom, with whom, and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, almighty God, forever and ever. Amen. As our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread.
Let us pray. We thank you, God, that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us to Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all peoples. Amen. sufficient for you. May your power be made perfect in weakness. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit abide and remain with you now and always. Amen. Amen.